You're listening to the Untitled Car Show in partnership with RightFootDown.com. Visit RightFootDown for your daily automotive fix. If you enjoyed today's program, please tell a friend. It's the best way to support this show. If you want to visit the archives, go to YouTube and search for Untitled Car Show. That'll bring you to the archived episodes. If you want to follow the show, just search for Untitled Car Show on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can always send an email to the show at untitledcarshow at rightfootdown.com. We're so glad you decided to spend the next hour or so with us. Without further ado, let's get into today's program. Hello and welcome to the Untitled Car Show. I'm your host, Ike. Today we have Paul and Todd from uh, a small YouTube outlet, uh, Everyday Driver. They also host a a podcast. No, it's uh, one of the bigger YouTube reviewers out there for sure. They have a show that's on Velocity airing now. What day does the... Does the show come out? What day of the week? Do new episodes? It's uh, Saturday mornings. Now it's because this is season one for us. This is Todd, by the way. This is early, early Saturday morning. So we hope you have a DVR. We hope season two will be on a little bit better time. But early Saturdays, you can find us. Yep, yep. And you guys host a very successful podcast. You have the YouTube channel that kind of got you started in this whole automotive review space. And if mm-hmm. Um, someone was ignorant like I was up until maybe a month and a half ago of, <laughs> you know, the wonderful work you all do. They need to go check it out and they can go to uh, Everyday Driver on YouTube. Um, and mm-hmm. then you all have a website that they can go visit as well where there's some videos, the podcast links, and the um, uh, some articles appear as well. And that is, if I should have this in my notes, but I do not, it's just everydaydriver.com. It is. Yeah. I mean, the, really, the purpose of the website at this point, Ike, is we just made that the hub because we don't know how somebody's going to find us. Some people now find us just podcasts or they find us just feature films because we had a feature film on Velocity a few years back. So at EverydayDriver.com, it's pretty much just from there you can find kind of all the spoil, if you will. Uh, and a lot of people have found us just through YouTube, but that website gets you to everything, podcast, films, all of the above. Excellent. And it, it's – you all do the podcast. You all do – the YouTube thing. Let's kind of go straight into like the meat and potatoes of this. Um, okay. Where like did the idea to do this uh, whole internet automotive review space come about? Oh man, it's been uh, ten years, which Todd and I keep pinching ourselves, and yeah, I can't believe it. But it it started when uh, Todd and I were always asked by our friends and family to join them at dealerships or looking for a used car online. Yeah, yeah. And they said, well, hey, you guys know a lot about cars. And would you go with me to the dealership? You know, I I don't know what I'm looking for. And, you know, what kind of car buyer am I? And, of course, we're happy to oblige. We'd go with them. We'd scare the the dealer salesperson and, (laughs) you know, have a a go ourselves on uh, any of the hot cars. But it really came down to wanting to help our friends and families, you know, buy cars and mm-hmm. enjoy what they're driving. We love that. And it, it turned out, you know, from the car show perspective that was available at the time, whether that was Top Gear UK at the high end or Motor Week in the U.S. as a car brochure. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just, yeah, on it's, television. It's, it's a car brochure yeah. done on video. That's really all Motor Week is. And then, of it course, is. Top Gear, awesome. And my, my comment always is, UK Top Gear, of course, is the pioneer here, but it's 
I, I would love to see a supercar sideways in a cloud of smoke at 100 miles an hour. Oh, That's yeah, fun to course, watch. Of course. It doesn't relate to our real life in any way, shape, or form. And the other thing that Paul and I saw, and this is, again, 10 years or so ago, we'd go to a car show, and you'd watch that guy, and there's always a ton of them. They're drooling on the Ferrari or whatever it is. And then they kind of shoulders slump and they slough off to their car that they don't like. And we kept going, <laughs> yeah. where's the connection? Yeah. Why, if you like cars, let's get you into something you kind of like. All of that slowly morphed into me. I come out of the film industry, me having this crazy idea. Let's try to make a car show that has, if you will, the cinematic value and the fun, a little bit of Top Gear, but is relatable. So it's not, so it has some, because Motor Week is only relatable, but not fun. So where's the middle ground there? And that was the, the inspiration, if you will. But I come from a background of only behind the camera. So directing, editing, et cetera. I'm not an on-camera guy. Paul had never been on a set before. No. So we literally no. gathered our cars and the gear that I had and just did a trial run. And this is 07. And the trial run was mostly terrible. But <laughs> I, being the editor, could see some promise in it. So we started revising it. And then late 07, we shot a half-hour pilot that we shopped as a TV show to then Speed Channel, which no longer exists now, shot that in 08. But as the economy was taking a dive, all of our meetings went the same, which is, guys, we love this. This is really cool. I had no idea. This is awesome. We like it. Yeah, nobody's buying. <laughs> right. So it right. quickly died. And then it was, what do we do with this content? We don't want to let it die. And so, for lack of a better way to put it, YouTube was the default. Yeah, I mean, when you really think about it back then, too, YouTube was in its infancy as a platform, I mean, yes, I remember, like, oh, yeah. five, oh, six, like, you know, this was back before I dropped out of college, like, seeing YouTube as a thing, I'm like, yeah, well, like, well, that will never, like, happen, so you kind of got in, like, early with the platform, I'm sure you've seen it grow and evolve since then, but you were on there before even probably the smoking tire, like Matt uh, Farah was, so you Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we were on there, I mean, as a YouTube partner very early on mm -hmm. when they created the partner program. We hadn't been on YouTube, but what, six months? Less than that? Six months to a year, but when they created the program, the partner program, and of course the partner program everybody knows now because that's the way you can put ads on the front of your stuff. And there's right. a pretty low right. bar for entry now. But at the time, when they went beta, they called channels. I hate to say it this way, but it's true. They called channels that were posting stuff that wasn't cat videos and just said, would you like to be part of this program? And they approached us. And I was right. like, what is this right. now? It's like really early 09. And 09 was when Matt was, if I'm getting my dates right, it could be a little off. When Matt was transitioning from Garage 419 to the smoking tire was around 09. So we got serious in 09. Uh, late 09, we were now part of the partner program and did a three generations of the Nissan Z car and got done with that piece, which actually still plays really well. And looked at Judd and realized we had no other cars scheduled, so maybe we should make this a regular thing. <laughs> so exactly. we started scheduling cars regularly, getting into press cars. So by honestly, I mean, this is a long story here, but by early 2010, we became once a month, every month, and something that looks like TV. Yeah, and it's the production value is, um, I'm not going to say remarkable, but for looking back at those older videos and you know the equipment and everything that was consumer grade back then it is mm -hmm. remarkable yeah. what you were able to do with it back then and i'm sure there's been upgrade in equipment since then and you know now everyone has access to a gopro and a 1080p mm -hmm. hd oh yeah right cell yeah. phone i mean but from what you're doing back then i mean l let's talk a little bit because i'm fascinated by this of like how the equipment and like how you all do take like shoot the videos has evolved from, 
you know, when you shopped the piece around in early 07 to where you're at now? I mean, I saw a bit in the Gears and Gasoline video, which is how I came across you. You got like this rig in the back of, you know, a uh, Mercedes with like this like six foot arm that's like right. counterbalanced with like an SLR on it. Y'all yep. didn't start with that, I'm assuming. So, no. No, no. Well, I'm going to brag on Todd briefly here because he edits everything that we do and has from the very beginning. So if you scroll through our category, our, our entire discography or videography, our library <laughs> of equipment or of videos, from the very beginning, we wanted what was we considered evergreen content because even now you can go back and watch it. If you're shopping for an S2000, that, that original S2000, still plays well. it still does. <laughs> Even though the equipment was more expensive, I mean, we were before GoPros and before the yeah. commoditization or democratization of DSLRs yeah. being available for everybody. So we were using some fairly high-end equipment to start realizing we need to own it or you yeah. know, we need to stop renting equipment. But it was Todd who really, again, comes from the film industry, has taught me everything I know about filmmaking <laughs> and, and hopefully from a design perspective, vice versa. But, uh, you know, I come from design and I come from, you know, the – design and styling and, and creative design. And so that's why we talk about it a lot on camera and we have such high standards for ourselves. And also to brag on the gears and gasoline guys, they brought that very sensibility when they visited us to shoot that piece. They brought this work ethic with them, yeah. a very high standard, very high quality. And it, it really matched the sensibilities between our two channels really aligned yeah. really well. Yeah. And like I said, Todd, edits us in terms of, you know, in a reality show, if you say something stupid or, you know, you look embarrassed or something happens to you, the editor for that show is putting you in because <laughs> that's what attracts you. That's the piece show. we're using. <laughs> you know, for all of our, you know, people have asked for the, uh, the behind the scenes and the, all that stuff exists. We still don't know what to do with it. We're still not sure if we're ready to put that out there. But, uh, you know, we wanted to come across as, you know, we're, we're setting up from the very beginning. So hopefully you're seeing a, a consistent theme from the very beginning. Even though you do see camera upgrades and production value yeah. upgrades, we continue to upgrade our gear. So we're even more nimble, lightweight, you know, easily, you know, jump around to different cities to do shooting wherever we need to shoot. But uh, that, that's been our approach from the very beginning. But, you know, thinking about the gears and gasoline guys, and also back to your question, Ike, on, on gear, when they were hanging out with us, I was having the moment where I was like, huh, wow. Um, they're stepping in at a very different gear time where stuff, the yeah. ability to get <laughs> high-quality stuff has changed so much. I mean, you've got handheld stabilizers and really small cameras shooting 4K, for God's sakes. When we started, we were shooting with a shoulder-mounted SD production camera that was theoretically the bottom end of TV allowable cameras, but it was SD, not HD, and shoulder mounted. This is a camera that was, you know, 15 grand to buy it, and we had no money at all. <laughs> uh, so we rented yeah. it for a day or two and hate how much that hurt because it was totally out of pocket, and, you know, put a mic on the top and that kind of stuff. And the other thing about it that was just difficult in that regard was just how do you mount a camera like that? You can't mount it on the side of a car. You, you're now you're shooting with that very traditional shoulder-mounted technique, and you're done. So once DSLRs showed up, which was a couple of years in, and once GoPro, when we embraced the GoPro at the GoPro 3, before that we really didn't because the image quality wasn't good enough, we embraced it at the 3. But those two things combined have revolutionized the ability for us to be, let's be honest, we're a tiny outlet with a, with a footprint that nine times out of ten people will drive right by. But I come from the film production world where 
you know the film production is on this block because you've driven by 14 trucks already and about 100 people. We're the exact opposite. And so as gear's gotten smaller, the thing I like the most is not only has the quality gone up, but our ability to have a footprint and just be light on our feet has just increased. We just, we're this tiny little group that can move real quick, which I love that. <laughs> Imagine a world without GoPros. That's where we started. Yeah, seriously. Or, or smartphones either. I mean, it makes me sound like the <laughs> oldest guy on the planet. I'm like, here well, I walker, but that's, that's what Smartphones were around then, but they just, they weren't integrated into the, the, yeah, the usefulness that we know now that we just, it's second nature to us as far as social media and you just, you know, we can record with our phones. Mm -hmm. You don't, but you, you know, you certainly can. Well, but you're right. We've reached that place where now, if I'm standing somewhere on a shoot and I don't have a, a chip in the camera or I need to get something real quick or whatever, I'll just grab my phone and do it. It's still because I know I can cut it in. Yeah. Whereas even three years ago, we couldn't do that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Amazing. It's. It just shows you like how quick this whole space has moved from, you know, what the production value to get the before kind of it was there was a barrier to entry on the equipment side but mm -hmm. the landscape was flat in terms of you know advertising dollars and like who saw what where now it's kind of flipped again where everyone can get the equipment but in terms of who's right. valuable to advertisers it's become yeah. you know the the opposite of what what it once was which is like such an interesting shift in this market space and i'm sure We'll see it shift again and again and again. And, you know, for you guys doing this, as long as you've been doing it, you know, I, I have to ask, you know, what's like the biggest thing besides the equipment you've seen kind of change in the like um, marketplace or in like the automotive review on YouTube question. space? Yeah. I would say, I would say, look, we've always been, and we've learned this the hard way because, again, we didn't, as we've already discussed, we didn't set up the show for YouTube. We kind of fell into YouTube. So we're not really the right model. And Matt Farah, a good friend of ours, is, uh, you know, he's the big guy in this space because of his one takes. But he even kind of discovered that the one take is the way to crack what I'm about to say. The big thing that has shifted in YouTube is the rise of the vlogger. Yeah. You know, when we started on YouTube, I hate to say it, but that yeah. was the end of, if you would, the blogging era where everyone you knew had a blog and wrote down their random thoughts that right. was dying right. right about the time that we were getting onto YouTube seriously. And then right behind that is the rise of the vlogger. And what, what never ceases to amaze Paul and I is a number of people with huge following in the car space that I wouldn't really call them journalists. They're just lifestyle bloggers that happen to like cars, but because of their, I mean, admittedly massive following, many, many times our following, they get real interest from manufacturers who want to give them cars. We're over here, actual journalists, sometimes fighting for cars against people like this because they've got millions of followers. So they've got huge reach, but what's their actual car knowledge? Nobody really knows, but they're going to talk about, you know, they're rolling the day and the, to their friend's Gulfstream in the new Aston Martin, yeah. whatever. But that is the thing that if you want to make just money on YouTube, don't do our model. Do that model. Exactly. Well, I, I've seen the audience interaction is huge for us mm. because I love to talk about movies. Todd is an expert screenwriter, director, filmmaker, and looks at the world through a camera lens. So he's always composing the shot and can almost see the film that we're shooting before it's done, which is so fun. It's both blessing and curse. Yes, it's all bad. Okay, so think about, Todd's going to correct me if I'm wrong here, but think about A-list actors. 
anybody you can think of that is on the silver screen, the big screen, mm -hmm. the only time they really interact with their fans in their traditional way was at red carpet premieres. Mm -hmm. And, you know, big, huge event like that. Whereas... Remember fan mail? Remember the concept oh of gosh. fan mail? Yes. You hear about celebrities with the big bag in the corner of fan mail? This doesn't exist anymore. No, no. no. So the audience interaction nowadays, which celebrities do now as well, but it changed. This entire YouTube model changed now to interact with fans. And so now in any category of any YouTube star that you know, they're interacting with fans, mm -hmm. which is what Todd and I have discovered through asking for questions on our show before we podcast. So yeah. what we do is we post up for questions usually on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we ask, hey, what are your car questions for us? Now, for special events, we'll open it up to any kind of question. But generally speaking, it's what are your car questions for us? What are you thinking about? Yeah. What do you want to know? You've asked us questions, which, which we love, and I'm sure we'll get to some of them here. But it's that's been a huge popular part of our podcast that we feel like we're in a three-way conversation with the person listening. And yeah. that's what we love because there's no real way to do it on a mass scale all the time. But, you know, podcasts have been around for a long time, a yeah. long time. And they're experiencing a resurgence. Here we are now getting to interact with fans. And, you know, it, it's pretty interesting. And the questions take us off on tangents. And, you know, we talk about movies a lot and filmmaking a lot, which is fun. But, um, yeah, it's, it's the audience interaction that has been the entire difference that has made celebrity stars out of YouTube stars mm -hmm. where, you know, and that's the whole point is the fan interaction. And that's what we love about, you know, ask us questions, ask us stuff about cars. And that really has been a huge part of our podcast. We've really identified that as a, a really key part for us. And we love the interaction. Well, you bring up the podcast, so let's kind of touch on that. How did the podcast come about as an extension of what you were doing with the uh, film shoots? Well, I mean, for the longest time, we we knew it existed, you know, a podcast existed, but we were like, why would we do a podcast? Because we guested a couple times on Matt Ferris' podcast, which is a lot of fun, but he kind of, I mean, he kind of has owned that reality of a bunch of guys sitting around talking about whatever and maybe also cars. So, what's <laughs> right. and, and we were on it a couple times. And both times we were on it, Chris Hayes, who's his producer and runs Shout Engine, he said, hey, guys, you want to do a podcast? And I literally would look at him and be like, about what? Because you guys have covered the sit around and talk thing. So, and, and we wanted to keep it car focused. And we were like, I don't know how to do it. But then we started noticing at the same time. I mean, it became really almost accidental. We went, oh, well, there it is. Because more and more people were actually writing to us now and saying, hey, guys, I mean, essentially a car debate. I've got this amount of money. I'm coming out of this car. I've always wanted one of these. Maybe I need rear wheel drive. What do you think about this? And we would try to sit down and write them an email response back. But, of course, that took more and more time, and it was just responding to that one person. And one day, I forget which of us decided to have a brainwave, but we, <laughs> we, we just had a thought of, this is the podcast. Let's yeah. respond to those in podcast form. And it, that was totally new ground for us. But what's great about it that we really liked is the video stuff in the way that we make it, it always has, has a level of anybody can watch this. But on the other end of the spectrum, it's not specifically about one person and drilling down to one person's story, whereas the podcast is the opposite. Anybody can listen, but we've drilled down to a very personal, organic discussion that honestly wouldn't work on video. But in podcast form, it's wonderful. So that's become a really organic thing. 
And then we started getting so many car debate requests, and we asked for it, truly. But we started getting <laughs> yeah, so many did. car debate requests that we realized we need to go to two a week. So we started off on uh, Tuesdays, and then we right. added Fridays. So for about the past year, we've been doing Tuesdays and Fridays. We're coming up on our 200th episode. So we typically do a little bit of news or whatever up front, which that's the other thing that video didn't allow. It didn't allow us to be like current events because right. by the time right. I get a video edited, it's not current events anymore. And who wants to watch that news three weeks from now? But in podcast form, it's fine. So we do some current events, do two car debates, answer a bunch of questions. It allows us a level of audience interaction that nothing else did. And it kind of fell on our laps. Mm-hmm. You know, like something that Todd touched on here is for me, the human interest element in the stories that people write to us about because we're not just trying to select a car or suggest a car for our listeners. People are listening because it's about that person and they're hearing about the stuff going on in their lives or who they're shopping for. I'm shopping for my mom or my dad or my girlfriend, my wife, whoever that is. Mm -hmm. First cars for teenagers, for new drivers. You wouldn't believe the categories that we've delved into just by virtue of asking for these questions. And I feel bad a lot of times because we can't get to everybody's question, but the ones that really intrigue us are the human interest, the story about here's the stuff in my life, here's the people in my life, I need a car to satisfy all that. That's what's so challenging. It's almost still be fun fun and interesting and all that kind of stuff. It's, It's almost, not quite, but almost irrelevant about the car we suggest. I mean, that is the point. (laughs) That's where we're driving towards, pun intended. But it's about, you know, the, the person's life, and that's kind of what it's turned into, and that's what's so much fun to debate because mm. it takes us into de- different topics about, you yeah. know, back to filmmaking and, you know, the stuff going on in your life, and we love to, to talk about that, and I think it's really interesting for our listeners. Well, but you also touch on the fact that <laughs> on podcasts, we've recommended Priuses, which we don't like, <laughs> and we've recommended minivans, which we would never do a right. video on. Right, Because, I mean, let's do a big video, video van com- Minivan comparison. I could shoot that and it would be fun, I guess. But <laughs> really, <laughs> a, a, a tenth of our normal audience would watch a minivan comparison video. But yet, we can talk about it for 15 minutes on a podcast and actually tell you about what's a halfway decent minivan. I don't want you to go buy one, but thankfully, <laughs> right. the podcast can allow that in a place that in video would just be a waste of time and resources. Right, right. No, it's 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 turned into yeah a, a combination of all these things that we feel kind of keeps it interesting and fresh every time and we love guesting thank you for having us on as well um you know we're continually looking at guests and and pulling people in and asking them to debate we're always up for fresh perspectives on things too it's it's fun i'm having the issue of you know and i'm curious because i've had you know so many good interesting people on and like everyone's putting out such a good product where now I'm trying to like cram in like into all my free time all these different great uh, like podcasts, and so I'm trying to go back and listen to as many of your podcasts as I can. This last week in particular, well, been, thank you. You know, like thank the, you. the video content and then the velocity stuff, and then the podcast stuff. And it's you know, it's we're in a time now where if you come across and for the people who listen to this podcast, you definitely need to go check out Everyday Drivers podcast stuff. It's fantastic and the questions and answers section and the car debate and i think right now i'm on your new york uh auto show update one oh, sure. which is oh yeah okay <laughs> all right you've been hearing far too much of us i, I actually kind of feel, i kind of feel like i need to just be quiet for a minute so you can hang out with us and not hear from us because clearly you've heard plenty exactly well it, it to a testament of like how good it is like i 
you know, every week and what I like about what I get to do, and I'm sure you guys have a bit of this in your own is, you know, getting to expose people to such great content where I've been listening and watching your videos for, you know, about a week now. And it's been like, I'm just saying like that, like media crunch, just you guys for a week for the most part. <laughs> and it's fun and it's engaging and it's, you know, uh, I feel like I've learned a lot of stuff and, you know, to your end of like, you guys have been doing this for 10 years. You've been doing the podcast for a couple of years. You are putting out such wonderful product, you know, there's a dynamic between you two that is very uh, easy to kind of uh, enjoy watching. I don't know, like, is that something you've worked on and developed over the years, or is this something where the dynamic between you two has just been natural from the get-go? Hmm. <laughs> Two, twofold. No, that's a great question. Yeah, it's twofold. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the truth of it is, I, I have a seven-year-old son, and he calls Paul Uncle Paul. Because at this point, he's family. I mean, we're, we're brothers at this point. Yeah. That's, but that's happened over time. I mean, the, the, the ridiculous joke about it, but also the truth of it is, when I moved to Los Angeles a long time ago, I moved in with three guys I'd never met, one of whom I'd had one short phone call with and needed a roommate. And I went, I'm coming out. So I moved in with three guys, and one of them was Paul. He was not the one I had the phone call with, and he was the one of the three I instantly liked the least. So just you know, do that, do with that what you will. But right around the time that I got married, my wife and I wanted to go to Mammoth to ski just about every weekend, and the only person we knew who always wanted to go was Paul. So in this very organic way, I'd moved out. I was no longer his roommate, but now I was spending even more time with him, and the three of us were always driving the five hours to Mammoth, and so the three of us kind of all became friends together, if you will. Yeah. So we yeah. became close that way, and that's kind of where the show initially just grew from because we both realized we were each other's car geek friend, so that helped. But the, the rapport that you're seeing is a combination of two things. It's our friendship has grown over the years, but then it was us getting comfortable on camera Mm -hmm. which is a whole other layer. Yeah, yeah. But then the other thing has happened entirely in the edit room because one thing we don't do is we don't pre-script our reviews. Now, we have cheat sheets, if you will, like spec sheets, so we know, wait a minute, what was the horse talking Talking points, this? essentially. Yeah, yeah, like the headlines, oh, bullet points. Yeah. But we don't go, I'm going to say this. We don't do that. We get in the car and we go, what are my thoughts? One thing that helps us, though, is to sit down like at lunch when we've both driven the car a bit, and one of us will say, well, I thought this about the car. And the other one will go, really? <laughs> so then we get in the car and be like, so Paul's an idiot because he said this about the steering. And then I'll take it in the edit room and I'll put those two pieces back to back because the big thing we do that we wanted to do from the beginning is two reviewers in the exact same car intercut back and forth. Because what you see a lot, and I understand this from an audience perspective, you see pre uh, presenter A is in car A. Presenter B is in car B, and they will defend their choices till the end of the video. But Paul and I, as close as we are, have very different tastes. So I like the idea of putting the contrasting thoughts next to each other so it sounds kind of like a car, uh, car debate conversation. But then also when we do a line, you go, huh, the car must really be like that. Or you go, you know what, the long-haired guy is always wrong. Okay, so hate me, that's fine. <laughs> like Paul, that's why we're here. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's been fun to see that and uh, – over the years, it's been the comfort level growing on camera. And at this point, the camera is us. I mean, we're talking to each other mm -hmm. almost in the car. Yeah. As if Todd were sitting next to me or I'm sitting next to Todd. We're just talking to each other. And it's – we know each other so well, but sometimes there's surprises, which is good. Sure. Interestingly, this has been something that has floored us to discover this across the board and continues to this day is – we tend to disagree 
on lots of stuff. Yeah. But then in our driving, our driving styles and our driving skill, we do it totally differently, and we have pretty much exactly the same lap times or track times or whatever that is. And you're like, that's how you took that corner? you got to be kidding me. And, you know, you were faster than me in that and, section? And two or... corners later, I'm like, I would have never done that, and exactly. that was quick. Yeah. But, you know, you know Todd will tease me for, you know, Porsche clothing and or owning Porsche <clears throat> cologne. It's, anything. It, it is an easy target. It, it is. You I, make that simple. I have opened myself up to that, but I that's my thing. I really love it. I'm I'm dog paddling the pool of Porsche. You've heard me say that a bunch. But, uh, yeah, we're just we're knowing each other so well and not trying to undermine what we think we know about the person, about each other, but trying to speak to, you know what, I know Todd, I think he's going to like this, so let me speak to this part and why mm-hmm. I like this, and then maybe that'll get refuted. But Todd, again, to brag on him, because he watches every bit of footage and crafts the storyline out of all of that footage. So imagine having everything Todd and Paul are saying. We don't script it. Sometimes he doesn't even know what we're going to say. And often. He says, I often, <laughs> often don't know what we're going to say. Yeah, that's, that's a regular so, reality. You know, we're starting out with this aspect of the car. And Todd's, oh, Paul said this. You know what? That fits perfectly as a counterpoint to what he's been saying. So I'm going to drop that right here. Perfect. So that tells the story. You can see the disagreement, but you understand both viewpoints. And the point is you've heard both Todd and Paul at this point. Go drive it yourself. Mm -hmm. Form your own opinion. You've heard us. Now, what do you think? And then keep the discussion alive. That's what we love is just – that continual discussion about, you know, because no car is perfect. We've said that a lot as well. Uh, Porsches are not perfect. No Wait, car, did no, I just say no that? No car is perfect until you run across a car I, that the person watching owns that car. Oh, right. And then they cannot possibly believe right. that you have said, you may have said 25 fantastic things, <laughs> but the fact that you said one bad thing, you are now officially a hater and you don't know what you're talking right. about. You're, you're an that idiot. Is, this is YouTube Bible, I'm telling all of you right now. If you want to know how YouTube works, that's how it works. That's true. I forgot about that part. I mean, original GTR. When the GTR came out, we got the press car, and we reviewed it for the same style that we do now. Uh-huh. And that was long before people really kind of tuned in, figured out to what we were doing. Knew our style. Yeah, that's fair. Our that's style. Fair. And Todd has this great saying about you know, take the badge off the hood, drive it for what it is. Is it dynamically great? Or are we just buying that BMW because it says BMW? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I have to caveat a bunch when it comes to Porsches. I'm just saying. You do. and no one, But no one's surprised <laughs> by that at this point. I know. They I can know. almost not say it, and we still know. <laughs> I know. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, so we drove this GTR, this early, early film. And there are things we genuinely love about the car and are just floored by. We mm-hmm. cannot believe... You can do this in that car. And we noted that. But to Todd's point here, if we say something slightly, you know what? I don't like the feedback. I don't like the feel. I'm not happy with it because of blank. That's all people hear. But this, but here's the thing. This was 09. The car had just come out. Right. It was the best it thing was ever. one of those cars <laughs> that had just, forget automotive press for the moment. It was the car that everyone was talking yeah. about. Yeah. So now you have, you have, you have held up. Some some fourteen year old kid's icon and said this isn't perfect. Shot it and they holes. were coming for us, man. Yeah, they were. You want to see that? That to this day is our lowest ranked film, which is so funny. And if you look at the comments, and here's the brightening thing: I've read almost all the comments on all our videos. Wow, sometimes it's like taking off a hazmat suit when I walk out of YouTube. <laughs> but but, the, but yeah. 
that is almost a straight 50-50 discussion point in the, in the comments between these guys are idiots and these guys got it right. It's the most divisive comment section of any of our videos, and it is still the lowest ranking one. And like owners come back and will say, you, you guys, I agree with you. Mm. The, the points you've made here, and I am an owner. I'm a GTR owner. By the way, have you noticed, everyone, that we've all stopped talking about how affordable GTRs are? Because, <laughs> they they was, are. oh, it's the $70,000, $80,000, the Porsche killer. Yeah, we don't really talk about that anymore because they're 120 to start with now, yeah. and they go on up to 150 I think. Yeah, that that's no longer part of the equation, but it was then, and people were saying, but for the money and all this stuff. So we took all that into consideration, but still formed our own thoughts and our own opinions about it. Here's here's Ike's number one problem with this podcast. Uh -oh. <laughs> you don't have to poke us very far. No. And three hours later, <laughs> one of us actually comes up and takes a breath. This is the problem for poor Ike. No, no, this is great for me because all I get to do is I've I've gone off and got a drink. I've used the bathroom. I get to come back exactly. and you guys You're are still it. talking. Yeah. This is this is actually a gift to him. He's getting right. stuff done and he's getting a podcast. Right. He Perfect. just hits record and we're just off to the races. All yeah. right. Exactly. Well, this is this is my favorite thing about getting people who. A, this is my favorite thing about having two other people on the show, and B, about having people who do podcasts because they just fill airtime for me. But... <laughs> yes, we do. You notice we have yes, opinions, It's come across. Now, speaking of opinions, that's a great segue. And you notice like, I have not touched any of the prepared stuff because you guys yes, are just yes, so interesting otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I, I was thinking about this. I was watching a couple of videos uh, just before we like started recording, and I'm wondering, is there a vehicle you have out there where you two cannot agree on whether it's a good car or a bad car? Oh, where we you're saying where we cannot agree if it's good or bad, not Correct. just the dynamic aspect. No, aspects. we can't. Well, we can't. We can't, we can't, can't agree with each other. We're just like I think uh, you got to be kidding. I yeah. will say a couple. First off, you love inexplicably, in spite of your Porsche <laughs> love, you have this soft spot for the Kia Soul. I do. I do. And you know what I think about the Kia Soul? It's Fine. The toaster. It's yeah. fa it's fa it's the definition of fine. Yeah. And you have this inexplicable love for the Kia Soul, so that's what we don't agree on. And then I own an FRS GT86, Subaru BRZ. Call it what you will. I really love it. Paul keeps getting it and going. Hmm. <laughs> I see why Todd likes huh. this. Um, okay, so Todd likes it, and I see why Todd likes it. And then he kind of he kind of trails off. He kind of trails off at that point. And, uh, yeah. Cool. Glad you like. Yeah. And then you drive it hard and kind of like it more, but still, you still get out and kind of go, yeah, I don't know. Which is funny because <laughs> when you first drove it, you liked it a lot, and then the more you drove it, the less you liked it. I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I I try, I try, and I I don't try to come across as disingenuous about it either. It's a genuinely great car. <laughs> I then I you know. Porsche, and then I get into the speed thing, and then it just, the things that light my candle. But are, now we have a price tag problem. I but know, I know. Actually, I hear, but you know what? Here's an icon that we completely disagree on. Though I cannot fit, because I am apparently freakishly the wrong size, I like Miata quite a bit. Paul just doesn't get it. Yeah. I guess it's not that I don't get it necessarily it's just that i don't get it i don't know <laughs> that was that was very clear well spoken sir i i want to like it more and then the elements that that really excite me about other cars are missing in the generations of miata i appreciate it for what it is and there's always the slippery slope of tuning would yeah. you notice ike that we don't get into too much we've now expanded i will say into more of that mm -hmm. but it's a slippery slope of discussion because 
Miatas are a great example. Well, if you only did this, this, and this, you'd have a car you like. Well, that's not how the car was designed. Yeah. And back to my thoughts about design and working with engineering and manufacturing, this is what we gave you, everyone. Yeah. The GT86, this is what we gave you. And so I called it version 1.0 in hopes of 2.0 with a turbo. We'll see. No, still to this day, no. Mm -hmm. And so from a tuning perspective, we think, all right, well, there's, you know, a jillion different parts we could throw at this car and suddenly tuning out of class. You've heard us say that. You've heard Matt say that as well. You know, we're, we're throwing too much money at a car that is now worth less than the parts that are screwed to it. (laughs) So is that wise or do you get a better car, a faster car? That's where I come in, you know, with, you know, okay, the Miata's fun. But, yeah. but every couple of years, I get into this little thing of, you know what I should do? I should just get a cheap Miata. And you're always there with, really? <laughs> that, that's what, yeah, there's the divergent thought right I, there. I right? guess those are it. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think back to all the Motorpress Guild track events that we've been to, where the manufacturers bring all of their current offerings that they feel comfortable letting journalists drive, it's not everything, but they, they do have a good selection. I'm trying to go through the list in my mind of cars. You know, generally speaking, we'll come across cars that we think, wow, did you did you feel that? You know, the mm-hmm. Mazda Speed 3 when it was around and, you know, various aspects of, you know, the power in Jags and something surprising about the Lexus IS or things like that. But I think Todd's definitely touched on the cars that were just sort of, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're pretty divergent. We're, we're needing other cars to to fit the need, I guess. And I almost feel like it's more fun when they're cars that, in general, enthusiasts would say, those are cool cars. Kia Soul being an exception. And you and I are in disagreement on it. That, that actually, I, I kind of find interesting since we both do have ultimately, kind of fundamentally, the same things we like about cars, and yet there's every now and then there's one where we're just like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm coming at the soul from a manufacturing standpoint. No, design, you're not. You just get it and you go, the soul just, is cool. The Inexplicably, soul is cool. like a child suddenly. I, it's the weirdest thing. And, and I'm liking everything he is doing. I mean, the stinger coming out, surprising everyone. I mean, design. <laughs> The design talent, they're loaded, they're stacked. I know, I know. we've heard about the Hyundai's coming well, out with okay, their on our podcast. Though. Well, you, yeah, you heard it on our podcast. But the, the Hyundai, the N-Spec, the N-versions that are coming out, you know, the, to replace the void in the market that is no longer filled by the Mazda Speed products, you know, all this kind of stuff, I'm, I'm really excited about that. So, Ike, you're laughing. I can hear you laughing. I, 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 I'm smiling to myself. It, it's, it's, I, I'm having a... Ike's doing laundry right now. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are gonna keep, keep this going for the next like, two hours. Weeks of podcast, but it's gonna be awesome. It's just, it's just an automated machine answering right now. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> by the way, we are, yeah. If you'd like to, right uh, to, to, to donate, we do have a Patreon page. No, what's terrible is we're not coin operated. You just ask us a stupid question. That's true. That's true. Pay us a thing. I guess we're not. Dang it! All right, you got me there. Speaking of bad opinions on cars, I got two cars that I absolutely love um, for, I think, all the wrong slash right reasons that I get a little teased about out in the automotive world. I'm curious about your thoughts on these two cars, and please don't be kind if you don't have to be. Um, The first one is a car I like because I think I understand why it exists. Um, It's the Mitsubishi Mirage, the new one. Mm. Oh. 
Okay. It Pausing it, means we're thinking. It exists yeah. because we couldn't get the Tata Nano in the U.S.? <laughs> is, that, is that why it exists? Because I can't think... By the way, why does that exist in that unbelievable, would have been bad as a nail polish color color? Mm. I mean, when, it, when it's a color that doesn't wouldn't look good as nail polish, and now it's on a car, mm. that, I mean, was that, was that the paint that was cheap? <laughs> I... Other than trying to be the cheapest car on the market, and if you if that's where you're going, Ike, I'm with you. Otherwise, I just it's Mitsubishi. I, they desperately need something on their product line that makes you want to go to their dealer, and that's the new car. I yeah. I, Let's go to the Mitsubishi dealership on Saturday morning, kids. Said no dad ever or will. Nissan yeah. needs to kill him with fire. They just need to kill him dead and start over. And they're resurrected as the cool tech of electric something technology autonomy whatever but to keep going on and not give us the evo shame mitsubishi i've had my friends in japan who are i know going to the studio i said hey oh you're also you're going to mitsubishi could you smack them in the head please for me while you're there could you just oh you're gonna meet the executive vps could you just you know here's my boot could you you know just take this and smack them no thoughts here i could but i am curious what what is your thinking for its purpose? Okay. I am curious, genuinely. So I I, I I have a few thoughts on it, and um, one is it's similar to the way to bring it to Porsche. You know the when they brought the SUV to market, everyone was like, "Well, why would you want an SUV from Porsche?" But the you know what is it, the Cayman? Now they can't build them or, nearly fast enough. Yeah, yeah, it that saved them to be able to build 911s and. Yes, fair. Yes, fair. The, the Mirage is such a cheap car to manufacture that it it sells at such high volumes. Where I had the Mitsubishi, you know, people on here, and they're like, "Yeah, we didn't expect it to sell this well. Like, we <laughs> thought it would do okay, and it's doing great." And I talked to them again recently off air, and it's like, you know, are you going to bring a hot version, or are you going to bring you know an upgraded version to of it? And it was basically that car sells. In the moment that car doesn't sell, this is what's the implied was we'll just kill it. But it's a car built for people who aren't enthusiasts. And to True. that end, True. it is a like if you, someone goes, I want X car with a warranty. I want it to Absolutely. do X, Y, yeah. Z. That is the car you can go. Go there. It's got a 100,000 mile warranty on it. Just mm-hmm. buy it. And it's cheap. And you'll love it. Or you'll not that you'll love it, but. It'll be your means of conveyance, well, and that's all you got to exactly give a shit about. What that person needs, exactly. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, you're talking about Mitsubishi feeling filling the hole, if you will, that Kia and Hyundai used to initially enter the market. Yeah, you know, they they entered the market as because because mm-hmm. you you are speaking to to one thing, and that is there's absolutely that section of the market that they're not about a car they like. They're about a car that they can, whatever that monthly payment is, because of the warranty, that will never cost them more than that monthly payment. They need a brand new car with a warranty, full stop. Yeah. And it needs to be as cheap as possible. And there will always be that market. And like I say, Kia and Hyundai used to be that market, and now they're trying to upmarket a little bit. So you're right. They're, they are. I think that's an excellent observation. They are filling a vacuum there for sure. It's just... That may be a poster child car for everything we really want to get people out of. So I take, I see both sides. I, I know you're a car enthusiast, but you haven't already purchased one, and that was just a big setup, and we inadvertently stuck both our feet in our mouths. Have we? No, no. That wasn't it, like a room full of rakes sort of situation for no, us, no. was it? No, but um, I'm curious. You've you've made mention of this before. I'm a automotive journalist. Can you take a guess at what vehicle I drive? 
Ooh. Well, but, but so you got to give us some sort yeah, of parameters. Give, give, give us a little bit. We know you're married with, with the kid. You, you, you've made mention that uh, a ton of other journalists have bought this vehicle in the past. It, very popular. Yes, exactly, right. Okay, yeah. well Probably. done, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Great car. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it, and it is it is the auto journalist special. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it all of the times you can hear an auto journalist, it, it's, it's also the YouTube general commentary section. What I mean by that is you'll have a bunch of cars, car journalists in a row that will say a car is great. And then there'll be this this upswell in the commentary of, well, all of them got paid off, and that was that was the <laughs> We'd thing. We'd be happy to be paid yeah, off. Seriously, I will happily about money. I will happily take your check and proceed to then tell you what your car is still like unbiased, but yeah. I'll take your check anyway. Exactly. But, but the thing about the Fiesta ST is it started to get that backlash, and it was funny just sitting there as as a journalist and being like, okay, honestly, let's just look at this. There are two options here. One, Ford paid. Every journalist they could find a stipend to talk up their cheapest performance car. Or, I'm just putting it out there, maybe it's really good. Just maybe. Exactly. We'll take this break in uh, in the podcast to go ahead and tell everybody as a public service announcement that Ford Fiesta STs are now $12,000 used. <laughs> so everybody should run right out and buy one. Now back to our regular scheduled program. Yeah, well done. Yep. They're, they're great cars for tons of reasons we don't need to go into it right now but i'm curious on your thoughts of the other car i've been teased a lot on this vehicle as well for liking it um the new version of the smart car for the u.s oh you like this hmm. i like it in what do you one, like about it I'm i like curious. it in one guy so if you don't get the cabriolet <laughs> if you if you don't get the cabriolet it's not worth it like that car with the roof up is the saddest place i've ever been um <laughs> And I've been in a Mirage, okay, okay? and that, yeah. that car has been this. Yeah. So, but it's rear-wheel drive. You can get it with a manual transmission, and you can park it anywhere, and you don't have to give, like, even, it's fairly expensive for what it is, but you still don't have to give that much of a shit about if someone, like, backs up into it or, like, damages it, because it's relatively cheap to fix. So it seems like a fun <laughs> rear engine, rear-wheel drive. It's basically a 911. Because you can't, yeah. I mean, for a while it was the only rear engine car with a manual transmission you could get in the U.S. Because Porsche had left that space for a little bit. So Paul's Paul's grinding his teeth at the 911 comparison. Did you say basically a 911? Did, did that come out of your mouth? <laughs> it did actually just happen. Yeah. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> nicely I, done. I, I knew that I, would get you. Here's, the, here's <laughs> the big thing, though. The yeah. we drove the earlier version of the smart car, and its Achilles heel, and it wasn't a great car to begin with, but its Achilles heel was. I think the world's worst automatic transmission ever. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's saying something because we've driven some terrible, terrible automatics. Mm-hmm. And the manual wasn't offered at the time. Yeah. That car in a manual would solve that, and you're right. Now you're headed into a space where where else can you get something, that tiny wheelbase, rear-wheel drive, and you can still row your own gears. If you're talking about a sheer city car, then I think it is succeeding really well. The I, I made a comment, and I don't know why I remember this. I guess it's the editor in me because it was – Honestly, eight years ago at least, when we drove that original smart car, I made some sort of comment, something along the lines of the fact that when you're driving the transmission, it was so bad, it felt like they were building your next gear while you're in the current. That's right. Because it took so long when you got to the top of that gear for them to actually find that there was another gear in the transmission. (laughs) I was praying for a manual in that version. So with a manual, I I can kind of go with you because city cars kind of need a level of just disposability, if you will. We're just like, oh, you dig me. All right, whatever. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah, okay. There's $16,000, I think, which is surprising. 
So not the cheapest thing ever, but not bad. And I do like elements of the design, to be honest. And I like the design brief. I like the concept. When we had that first one, we parked it like they do in Europe. Well, actually, everywhere not in North America. But, you know, perpendicular to the curb. And I see that all over Europe, and they're hugely popular in Europe, and I think, it works here. Mm-hmm. It's okay for North America. It's okay for the U.S. We've got Montana. We've got Wyoming. We have yeah. Utah. We've got wide space. Open spaces, is available, yes. And it just it looks out of place. It's a little fish out of water for me here, but it works like crazy in Europe. I do like the, the design refresh. As a matter of fact, recalling that review... I, I think I said that car is in the Museum of Modern Art, or it's, yeah, it's, it's part of the collection. Those, yeah. I'll have to go back and revisit that. But, but here's, but here's it, the thing, it though. It got reviewed. It got rave reviewed. As far as out of place is concerned, the smart car in downtown L.A., fine. Yes. The smart car yes. in West Texas, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a market. You want to roll that in the back of my bed here, and I'll, I'll go ahead and take that to the dump for you. Seriously. We'll, we'll use pickups from here on out, right? right. It's just, anyway. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. So we can we can see it. I mean, there's there's good and bad, but you know, we could eat this endlessly for the rest of time. Yeah, yeah. frightening. It, basically, not eleven. So moving on to that, you have a uh, yeah. speaking Shot of ice. <laughs> Shot. Shot ice. speaking. I'm, like, I'm a big fan of ice. Oh, You're best friend. Oh man. Uh, so speaking of Europe, you got yourselves uh, fairly recently. Uh, Tom, who is the European correspondent, who basically yes. takes cars that we don't get and reviews them and then he takes some stuff from the particular one i enjoyed was he took the fiesta st out and about in europe which was interesting to see you know the difference between here and there like how did tom kind of get involved with you guys and like what do we have to look forward from him coming up so (laughs) uh yeah tom tom is a fantastically interesting guy that we kind of stumbled upon because what actually happened is he reached out to me um, probably 18 months to two years before anybody ever saw anything from him on our channel. And he just reached out as one of our viewers from Germany and he had a bunch of questions about just our approach and he was trying to learn English and he wanted somebody to interact with in the car space in English and he was trying to learn to shoot and edit because he was building his own YouTube channel. So I just... I spent a little bit of time, a couple of emails back, and just responded to some basic stuff because, sure, I mean, if that I can be helpful in that regard, fine. So we had that conversation via email. This was before the podcast, so our email uh, listing was far, far shorter. Yeah. So I was able to respond to this. Yeah, yeah, the inbox is very different. Uh, But anyway, so I responded to Tom a little bit. And then about six months later, we were planning at the time our third feature film, and we realized we wanted to do what we call Pilgrimage, which, as the name suggests, is that thing that all – kind of non-European uh, car enthusiasts want to do. We want to go to Germany and we want to drive on the Nürburgring. And, oh, by the way, that's 90 minutes from Spa. We should try to drive both. And so we did a film about doing that trip. And let's be honest, not knowing how to do that trip, and we just did it. And that's what the film's about. But I realized we're going to be in Germany. I don't speak German. Neither does Paul. Uh, Tom lives 45 minutes from the ring. So now the situation changed. And I reached out to him by email and said, hey, do you mind kind of being our German fixer and just hanging out with us and, and, you know, helping us do this? And he was all over that. Yeah, he was. So he, was. he actually joined us. You can actually see the first appearance of Thomas in the pilgrimage trip because he was one of our shooters. We took Edgar, who was a longtime L.A.-based shooter, 
We took Edgar with us. So Edgar was helping Tom learn to shoot. We were kind of trial by fire for the poor guy. So he was with us hanging out for a week, which, you know, depending upon how much you like us, that could be great or terrible. But he hung out with us and he helped us in uh, just all kinds of German stuff that we would have never known, which was great, including there's nothing quite so funny. You can see this in the film as watching two American guys with our American sensibility get on the Autobahn with a <laughs> oh, German yeah. in the back. Oh, yeah. Very concerned about us adhering to the strict German traffic laws, and we're perfectly happy to be like, I'm an American, I don't know. Interesting, <laughs> con yeah, interesting conflicts going on there. But um, but at the same time, he was able to give strategies for how to drive the Autobahn quickly. I mean, we got a, well, I should be clear, Paul got our Porsche Cayenne GTS with four guys in gear up to 174? 174, 176, you know. Yeah, that's a fast-moving Cayenne, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I did 160-something and thought I was a baller until you hopped in and did that. But anyway. And Tom's outdone us both, actually, now. But not point. the Cayenne he has. Not the Cayenne. That's, that's like a yes. big red brick going that speed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so but, Porsche, that, uh, but that was our first, thank you, that was our first foray into just hanging out with Tom. Well, he learned a lot from that. And then about six months later, he was, again, trying to chase press cars for his own channel, and he approached me and said, hey, what do you guys think about having a European correspondent? Which was really interesting because a month earlier, I had said to Paul, there's all this stuff we don't get. We should yeah. do a European correspondent. Do you think Tom's up for that? It just, honestly, it converged perfectly. So I'm involved in his edits kind of from afar. He sends me his edits, and I kind of refine them with big monster text documents <laughs> about time code that needs to be changed. Uh, but he does a great job. He's a quick study, yeah, and yeah. he's such a different sensibility. And he has the Autobahn to just go out and go, how fast will this car go? Which we all want to see. Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. He's got that. Uh, he's definitely our, our ringer in that sense and has that in his backyard, whereas something, you know, the rest of the planet dreams about, well, that's just, you know, Saturday morning for everybody in, in Germany. Go to the ring and hang out. And he's 45 minutes from the ring, which we yeah. secretly hate him. For the, well, not so secretly. <laughs> hate him for that. Yeah, that's pretty much. pretty much. He knows it, but he's been doing a fantastic job in representing the brand and the quality for what we do and, you know, really what we've done from the, from the very beginning and has put his own spin on things, which is what we love. He's definitely... He speaks English, and for those of you listening, when you encounter Tom, no, <laughs> he is not from Jersey. He learned English from watching The Sopranos and Seinfeld and emulating that sensibility, and that's he, he now he's got a German accent kind of intertwined with that, although I, I hear it no, less and less. He doesn't have a German accent. Well, he sounds like he's from, he sounds like a guy that somebody's, somebody's <laughs> about to whack on The Sopranos. That's what he sounds like. Exactly. People, want, people are always it's coming in going, this guy's not German. I'm like, hey, he's German. It's just Actually, this. When you realize how he learned English, then you go, well, of course. He's talking about being Ebola. I'm like, I, I grew up in the U.S. I've never used that term that way ever. And you, he can't get through half a video without talking about, dude, he's Ebola. I'm like, what on earth is going on? But that's why we love Tom. Exactly. He teases us. We tease him. And uh, it's great. He's been doing a phenomenal job. And like I said, putting his twist on things with – the cars that we just don't get. That's what we feel. We want to hear about those cars. He's got the press fleets right there, you know, in his home country, and and uh, he's got everything that he needs to go really bring them out, as as uh, evidenced by his nearly 200 mile an hour blast in an Audi RS6 wagon. I, yeah, we're still floored by that. So like, kudos to Tom for really ramping up. Uh, the European part of that and the cars we don't get. Peugeots! We don't get Peugeots. Yeah, but there's, there's the time I suddenly wake up to the uh, Facebook message that said, just, just this casual two lines, oh, so RS6 wagon, 
I did 310 kilometers an hour. And that's the whole message. Just like, what just happened? You did – how did yeah. – okay, fine, yeah. fine. Good for him, though, and, and no. really cool to see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's been great, and uh, we appreciate his hard work for, for representing us and expanding the brand. That's what we wanted. He's fun to watch. The, the interaction and he has and you guys have with him that pops up in videos is great. It, it's – Someone pointed out a, a while ago, they might have even been like the Team Clearco guys, that, you know, all this car review stuff, all everything you're watching and like ingesting really can be broken down to like the human interaction aspect of it because that's really what yeah. we want to see. And he he fits in slots in so well with you guys. It's, it's so interesting to know that he came from a viewer background because he meshes so well with you guys, which is so fascinating. The... We're a little close to time here, so I don't know if you guys have some time to continue bullshitting with me or not. But um, clearly, we have nothing to say and no time to talk, so we'll, we'll certainly go a little longer. Yeah. All right. All right. So um, I kind of want to do some speed run of the prepared questions I was supposed to ask throughout this whole episode until I got thrown way <laughs> off topic. So um, we're good at that. I, yeah. we're good. <laughs> so, what's the favorite car you guys have gotten to review? Ooh, favorite ev out of everything so far at this point. Tough. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm I'm as big a Porsche fan as I am. I'm gonna go with McLaren, Ooh. and I think Todd's gonna be at least from a brand perspective. I know he's with me on McLaren because, wow! And this was just an older 12C that we drove in the pilgrimage film mm -hmm. that was tuned by Gambala, best known for Porsche tuning, but has branched out into other marks. I think it's the McLaren, the 12C. That just, yeah. It's up there. It's up there. I got to take that. That see lit that. me up. That really did. Uh, I'm going to cheat and give you a couple. Uh, <laughs> but um, the the cars that surprise me with how special they feel and the character that they have. And one of them was we did a movie called 50 Years of the 911. That's about the Porsche 911. Uh, and <laughs> I know it's shocking to think that way. But we had an extra car in there because we were we were lining up all these cars. The oldest was a 1967, and the newest was a three-week-old 991. And we stumbled across an owner. We joked about, wouldn't it be cool to find one? And this yeah. one owner just said in passing, oh, I have a, a 997 GT3 RS40. Mm -hmm. And we said, I'm sorry. And, and, I'm, not, and I'm not the Porsche guy of the two of us, as you probably have followed along. And yet that car is one of those cars where if you said I could have five more minutes in that car, I'd say, where am I meeting you? That car is was spectacular. It was just there's something genuinely special about that car. And coming from the non-911 guy, I, I seriously mean that. So that's one of them. Uh, and then I would also say, because I am a Lotus Freak, the Evora 400 is awesome. It's really, really great. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great selection of cars to pick from. And on that note, I think this wasn't a prepared question. When it comes to, like, someone, if someone were to approach you and say, I'm thinking about getting into, you know, reviewing vehicles or, you know, they're from you guys looking at someone who's getting into this uh, from the get-go, is there a set of cars, maybe two or three cars, you could think of where, Really, to understand driving dynamics or understanding or viewing cars, you really need to drive these vehicles. Yeah, there's uh, – I would say in terms of architecture for those cars. Yeah, that's good. So let's start with architecture about traditional front-engine, rear-wheel drive, manual transmissions. And then we'll go to all the variants on that and then mid-engine cars, front mid-engine, rear mid-engine, all those kinds of things. So – 
architecture is a big part of it. And I will put this out there, tires, and starting to understand tires, good and bad, and all the aspects of that. Because we see that in racing, and we think, you know, oh, that, that only applies to racing. And the pit stop strategies and the tire strategies that race teams perform, that's not just for racing. And Todd and I talk about it a lot, especially living in the weather that we do in the mountains here in Utah. It's all about tires. So one car that is a mid-engine car with lesser tires, we'll say, that aren't, you know, are, are less expensive and therefore, you know, in a lot of cases, less dynamic. That's not true across the board. It's easy. It, you can find a good value tire that is surprisingly, you know, high performance. But we'll just say, okay, you know, you put a different set of, of tires on that car, and it changes the dynamics of that car. We've even had discussions where we can feel tire wall and the flex on the tire wall. We are geeks. That's really the takeaway <laughs> here. Into that. Because because on one level, you start talking tires, and there's a segment of the audience that rises up and goes, yes, talk tires, while the rest of the audience has currently gone to sleep. <laughs> Where's the this stop button on my phone? They, yeah, they can't pick a new thing fast enough. But I, I'll actually give you a little bit of a list, though. Like We actually had our first episode of, uh, of TV on Velocity uh, this first season a few weeks ago. We, we called our greatest hits. And it, and honestly, those are some cars that really fit the moniker. We took the new EcoBoost Mustang. I actually wouldn't put the EcoBoost Mustang on this list, but I'll come back to it. But we had on there the Fiesta ST, mm -hmm. the FRS, and the WRX. Well, those are all three very different cars, but they're, they're really very well done, affordable. That's done right for each platform. The Fiesta ST is the tiny little front-wheel drive hatchback. Yeah. You want to know how that can be done brilliantly? Drive that car. Of course, you own one. You know that. The FRS, affordable rear-wheel drive, low center of gravity, well-balanced, traditional sports car. Done very well there. The WRX looks like a Corolla with a hood scoop. It just does. I hate that, but it's true. And yet that all-wheel drive system, you know, 50-50 all-wheel drive, a great just frantic turbo engine, you get so much of a different experience out of that. Those three cars all handle a corner differently, and yet they all handle a corner really, really well. I'd put people in those three right away and be like, now let's start talking about variants of those platforms. Then you have to add like a Mustang GT to understand where muscle cars are now because they're coming away from muscle cars and towards sports cars. And the, like the current Mustang GT is kind of a bridge car. It's kind of where that's, it's moving over the edge more into sports cars. So that's a good one there. And then you have to go nuts into, okay, you want to go classic mid-engine? You have to get into a Lotus Elise because now you don't even have uh, power steering, and you will hear every yeah. rattle and clunk. And I've driven enough Lotus Elises now that there's actually a specific clunk that happens in the suspension where you just go, "Oh yeah, that's a Lotus." <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, it, it's frightening. But but you can you can absolutely do a mid-engine wrong. You can and you can also get your driving in a mid-engine very wrong, and that doesn't feel like other cars. And then, of course, you have to go 911. You have to go older 911 now to get the real rear engine feel. Those are the oddballs. I would stay with the first three right away because they're accessible and they're very well done in those three different platforms. That's a great building block for more discussions. It, it's a fascinating thing. Although I, maybe you can substitute the 911 with a you know new generation smart car just to bring back to that point. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Well done. You're, you're, <laughs> you're trying to sell that. Like, I'm, I'm impressed. You're doing this. Diligent. Well done. Yes. <laughs> Job. I'm, make, I'm making a friend and an enemy all at the same time. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's uh, 
two kind of a question I really want to know from you guys is if you had an unlimited unlimited budget, if like Warren Buffett decided, you know what, I I've been watching these guys for a while, they you know gave me a great review on this, that, or the other, and I want to give them just a budget that's basically unlimited that you guys could do whatever you wanted with it. Is there like a dream project out there that you just want to do with something like that? Wow. Uh, how much time do you have, Ike? Uh, yeah, I got like, I'll go do a little laundry. I'll come back and you guys can get, no, I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. take as much time uh, as you need. You know, I, I saw this question on your list before and I have some ideas about elements but I mean, if we're really doing this, are, are we really doing this? I mean, who's who's the bankroller here? Hey, if Buffett comes along with some money to spend, I will take that boy's yes, money. Yes, let's we do will. that. Bravo. Elements for me have to include travel. Mm-hmm. I've uh, really been fortunate to discover travel, uh, as has Todd, and and uh, yeah, not just tracks of the world, but locations and scenery. Something that. Todd and I both, from the very beginning, set out to do is wanting beautiful scenery and a beautiful environment for mm-hmm. our cars. And, of course, Top Gear has defined that. They're a travel show with a car problem, and mm-hmm. they've done an incredible job with that. And so we definitely look to them for an inspiration, but also want to push on, you know, tracks and driving experiences of the world. That's Those are big elements for me. And, you know, if we're talking unlimited budget, we can throw in all kinds of stuff from helicopters to, you know, <laughs> big sweeping shots. Now you're going to be in a helicopter and worried about the nice watches. And now we're just hey, completely... Are we talking talk. about watches we're now? Just, oh, we're talking about watches. This is the podcast. Uh, Welcome to the watch. No, no. <laughs> watch podcast. Uh, <laughs> now I'm going to do laundry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is everybody else listening and they're coming back and... Paul's still talking about watches. Uh, yeah, there's there's elements I can think of that are would have to be definitely involved, but um, you know I think you could probably see those coming. I, I haven't seen anybody really drive cars in Hawaii or Alaska or you know some beautiful places I can think of that yeah. are you know just very different scenery. I mean you're all about scenery too. Well, that kind of leads to two things. I mean, we've we've tried to do a feature film every calendar year. We've done four so far, four and four years. Started with the 9/11 film, and those are always the idea for those is always kind of comes from the <laughs> with a budget variation of what you're asking us, mm-hmm. where we just go what's what's way too big for YouTube in that honestly the show can't support putting that much money out to put that much effort into it without getting direct money back. So we make a larger feature film that every time puts us into debt, and then we charge for it. And we charge for it just because it's just too big for us to cover another way. We've been able to do some really cool, like we did Icon was our latest one, and that's all the kind of the generations and variants of off the M3. So, I mean, really fun. Couldn't afford to do that any other way. Got a lot of cars together. So my brain kind of thinks in these terms – I'll give you two real quick, Ike, that would be – they'd be two very different movies, but I'd love to do both of them. One would be like the ultimate best road movie. Go to every major mm. – what people think of as major driving destination, be it you know countries, let's just say, and get on every one of those roads. What is? It's almost like a TV series. What is each of those yeah. roads? And the car is almost – I mean, you have to get a good car in every episode, but the car is almost less important than just showing off that road just to kind of expand people's awareness of, oh, that road's an hour from me. I don't – I mean, you're in Wyoming. I don't care. Let's show a cool road near that. I'd love to do great roads in every state, for example. Let's, let's bring it a little more closer to home. That'd be cool. That'd be a fun movie series. The other one that would be really cool is I would love to do all of the Halo cars. Let's mm. take – 
Porsche, Ferrari, and uh, Lamborghini, let's just say. And let's march through the halo cars of those brands side by side by side by side. I mean, this would be, I could make this 16, 20 cars without trying hard. You get all the brands and you run through the generational hypercars, if you will. So you're back with, you know, the F40 and the, and the 959 Porsche. Those are compatriots, Ooh, yeah. okay? Yeah. But then they jump up again. Every 10 years, roughly, these auto manufacturers do that. I'd love to gather them all. Many as wide as we could take it. And let's walk through all of the halo cars, compare them in generational terms and in kind of all-purpose time-no-object terms. The scale of that in my mind has just made my brain hurt. But wow, <laughs> the production value, the money involved. But I guess we'll have money, right? That's coming. In this scenario, we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Buffett's on the other line at the moment. He's asking what you guys want to do with I it. I so. we brought with Ike for a good reason. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. We found our guy. <laughs> it, yeah, he, uh, he's telling me you got to use a smart car for something, though, for some reason. In a Mirage? I don't Just know. Just like 911s. Right. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> we learned something tonight. This yeah, is we almost have. a public service announcement. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> All softly. Yeah. Uh, so they're... they're Couple of viewer questions, and then I got my um, inside the actor studio podcast of record questions, and then we'll wrap this up here. So, um, well, one, okay. between two ferns, yeah, basically. <laughs> stop! 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 No, we're not doing that. Well, along those lines, uh, I have to ask this one. Nick needs an exonet. Ask: uh, Do you categorize Todd's hair as a mullet? Is it a mullet or is it not a mullet? What are we, what are we looking at here? <laughs> wow. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Well, you know what? I'll answer this, okay? Because I've had long hair for a long time. I will, I will also tell the full story. My dad went bald at 18. At 18. Mm -hmm. So I realized once I had hair, I was like, as long as I have hair, let's have hair. And then on the nice side note of that, my wife likes long hair, so that works too. So these are all good things. But I would say this to you. The, de the definition of a mullet is that the hair on the front of your head is noticeably shorter than the hair in the back. This is not true of me. I can pull all the hair back into one ponytail. That is not the definition of a mullet. Mm -hmm. So I, am, I welcome people. There are many. And I could even side with you on some days to say that my hair is terrible. That's fine. I'm just glad I have hair, and I'm wearing it long because I still have hair. So there you go. Mike, I wish I had hair. If I did, I'd probably grow it down a long ways, but I don't. Thanks to my grandfathers. Yeah, uh, to the cursed grandfathers. Now the uh, – <laughs> let me see. What other question? Oh, here's a good one. Um, I'll kind of summarize this one the best I can. So uh, Oppo's resident Toyota guy um, basically – there's a collection of shoes that have all sorts of different uh, race car liveries on them. And it is more of a visual question, but is there a livery that you would want on a sh driving shoe in particular? So we're talking like golf livery, McLaren livery, like the old. I've seen these. I've seen yeah. these. They're very cool. Yeah, yeah they are. I, I wouldn't mind them. I I'd, uh, I don't know that I'd wear them everywhere. I like the golf livery. I like, yeah, I like what you're saying, but I also, I'm up for, yeah. John Player Special. Black Ooh. with gold accents. That oh, would yeah. be cool. Black with gold stitching or something that like that. That would be cool. I don't know when I'd wear that because I am fashion inept, by the way, <laughs> but that would look cool. No, I, I like the question. I uh, And I I own Porsche shoes. I do. Um, no one's surprised. Hmm. That went without saying. No is, one is surprised. Well, I, I guess... Uh, is there me, a matching watch that goes along with it? 
There is. There's many, as a matter of fact. Do you really want to ask that question? Oh, no, I don't. Like, like, just back away, man. Take, take your opportunity to back away. I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I like the I like the livery. I um, I'm more about original design personally. That that has touches of them, not trying to just replicate it onto a thing. Mm-hmm. I like the livery on the cars. Let's leave it there. If it's a nod to something with a little detail or something like that. I much prefer something like that. Mm-hmm. If it's, you know, just a little bit of orange stitching or, you know, it doesn't have to be an exact replica and the stripes go up over the top of the shoe. Okay. Now we're being literal in terms of design interpretation and that's not how design has to work. So I like the nod to something like that, but it doesn't have to be the full, we replicated it into the shoe for your foot. And no, that that's, they're okay. But I like the, the original twist, you know, with a modern look to it, I, I kind of prefer that. That's me. Mm. I, I agree with that pretty good. I think that's a good point. Like, you're trying to replicate a thing on another thing doesn't make much sense, I guess. Mm. Like, like you wouldn't wear around cat shoes. Like, that just wouldn't make sense. Um, mm. Although yeah. some people would. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, we'll go into the podcast of record questions, as I like to model this show as. So um, these are kind of, I, I learned this lesson once, so I'll, I'll put this. These are not work car guys that changes day to day, some of these questions. This is in the moment now, how you're feeling about the question. Uh, so you don't have it's to. A, it's, it's a Rorschach test. It's as fast mm-hmm. as possible. I get it. I get it. Yeah. You, you can take a moment to think about it, but it's, okay. it's yes, exactly. Um, moment in time. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. So, what is your favorite car? Lotus Elise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna go with Cayman. I'm gonna go with Cayman. It's a convenient since you own one. Yeah, that worked out well for you. That worked out really well for you. What is your least favorite car? Prius. Sorry, it's low hanging fruit, but that's my initial answer. Yeah. Corolla and any Corolla's flexible fuel vehicle from Toyota. Corolla S, because what's sporty about that vehicle? Anyway, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what modification trends? So we're talking about like donk, brodozer, um, you know, stance, all that. Uh, do you find uh, yourself attracted to either spiritually, emotionally, creatively? You know, just you kind of like it for whatever reason. Mm. We kind of like. Not like would have been very easy. That would have been but very easy. I, for some inexplicable reason... When somebody takes a sports car, I don't even know why. I don't. I don't want one of these genuinely. But when somebody takes a sports car and makes it into the monster truck, like super jacked up chassis, I always think that's quite impressive. <laughs> it, 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 it's it's useless. Please don't do this. This is no you know, this is no endorsement. But every time I see one, I'm just kind of like, huh? You made that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got to be tasteful. It's got to be very restrained. If anything, I. I this is pretty much our personality I come from a design background, Ike, and I appreciate the cars and the designers for what they've created as is because we've got all kinds of tuning companies that go further and push it. I'm thinking that's your interpretation, but what about the designer who spent probably a long time, a, a lot of decisions went into making those surfaces look that way for a particular reason it's got to be very minimal, so I'll go with wheels. I like wheels and yeah. what that does to a car. That I'm up for because that changes the personality 
a little bit, but Agreed. not. No, it, it doesn't change the character. I would actually go we go by wheels. I have gone on both. You I have would, gone. I would never wheels. actually jack up my sports car, but I'm telling you, I would look at that and go, huh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wheels are minimal. Yeah. Best thing I did my FRS was new wheels. Yeah, on. new shoes for baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, now let's easier version of this question. Which trend do you find yourself just turned off by? Stance. Slam. But, but, but yeah. yes, I will agree with you on stance, and here's the reason. You now can no longer drive the car in a normal fashion. Right. Right. When, when you're when you're baffled by slight driveways, you have done this wrong. <laughs> when a slight in, incline that doesn't phase anybody else is now a problem for you. That's that's not a success yeah. story. It's just not. No, I, I uh Cars are made to move. We love them when they're moving. We shoot them when they're moving. Yeah. Unlike furniture. I love furniture. It's a static well, piece. Well, you found your way it's to a, furniture. I, I did. Of course you did. Hey, I worked it in. Beautiful, engaging, interesting furniture. It's static. It's made to be an art piece that you can sit in. Fantastic. Cars are designed to move, not sit and be slammed and glued to the earth. <laughs> That's a very good point. Now, we could probably go into a whole thing about automotive-based furniture, but we're gonna we're already over time. So um... <laughs> stop it! Stop! You're not helping any of this. This is this is terrible. Ah uh, yes, ah uh, yes. Uh, what car do you dread to be stuck behind at a red light? This could be a make, model, or this could be a type of driver. It... I, I will say this. I will say this as the guy that drives the small orange teenager's car. It's the huge jacked-up pickup that I know is going to be rolling coal. <laughs> and invariably, I don't get to the recirc button fast enough. That's the guy I don't want to be behind. Yeah. yeah uh, I'm going to say anything where I can't see the driver's head. <laughs> if I can't see it above the headrest or near the headrest, I, that's the car I don't want to be behind. <laughs> because we're just going to creep onto the on-ramp and creep around the corner and just, uh, Yeah. That's a very good point. You always see a set of knuckles and a tuft of hair. Like, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. all bad. Yeah. Um, what automotive sound or noise do you love? Flat six. <laughs> the you know what the engine in the GT three fifty Mustang is on my extreme short. That's up right there. Now. You're that right. Is a special, That's a special engine. That Voodoo is really really cool. And I am not a Mustang guy. Yeah. And I would just drive that car to hear it. It sounds mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I've of course foregone conclusion, but I love V8s. They're just yeah, they're phenomenal. Mm, they are. They 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 put a tingly in a special area. That is for sure. The uh... <laughs> <laughs> this, this podcast just got explicit just yeah. now. Just with... I I, I, I got to bring it to that weird spot at least once a podcast. That's what I do. Um, what automotive sound or noise do you hate? I, it's it's that plasticky thud that you hear in every single accident. That is oh, that is man. such a cringing noise, and you just you know that thud. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. squeaks and rattles on the inside that you know weren't there the day before, and then you just notice them. And you think, ah, what is and that? And now they'll never go away. What now is that? you've noticed it. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> that that is a that's a good one. Typically, we get brake squeal there, but I like I like those two answers. I'm a little bit more outside the box. Everyone always goes to brake squeal for some reason. When I ask it, it's like, oh, that... You're just trying to make friends now. I, <laughs> I see right through you. 
make friends about smart cars? Is that what we're... No. <laughs> see, oh, see, he's, he's still got the knife see, out. He's like, yeah, yeah, be yeah, careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be careful. Now, here's, here's kind of... A, in the automotive world, um, there's a ton of jobs, you know, from, you know, base guy washing up, and then there's all the way up to the executive on top. Is there a job in that space that you would want to try? Or that you would most want to do, I guess, is kind of the way to put it. Like, if you couldn't do what you're doing now, and you were forced in some alternate universe to do that job, you know. If I was good enough, if I was good enough, the automotive test driver that does the development of chassis tuning, what a great gig that would be. To just, your job is go out and find the edges of this car and come back and help us figure out how to make it better. If I was the driver to pull that off, give me that job. That's a pretty good one. I was going to say something along the lines of design and, and setting the tone for a brand and being involved in the creative design work, which hits my hot buttons. But yeah. I think the driving would take a slight edge to that. I'm with you. you that's, want, that's up there. You want to be that crazy guy at Dodge who's like, you know what we need to do? We need to put more horsepower into our vehicles. <laughs> that, that would be Ralph. Ralph Giles. He's in charge of the show. He runs everything. Yeah. That would be Ralph, that's and funny. that's his sensibilities and blessings. Good on you for that. Like, are we going to put a turbocharger on it? I don't know what voodoo magic that is. We're all about you big old V8s and superchargers. Um, same question in reverse, though. If there was a job in the automotive world that you would least want to do. Hmm. You see a trend with these things. Like, what's the good thing and what's the bad thing? Delivering cars that we don't get to drive. It'd be, you know, here's the new car, and I barely get to touch it, and then that's then it's gone. Mm. It, it would be it would be the guy that's doing the parts accounting, where he's figuring out we can't do that bolt. That's the upgrade because if you do that times a million, oh. it increases the. No, I'm sorry, but no. Those people are not car people. If you're listening and this is you, I have a bone to pick. <laughs> but. But I, here's the here's the thing though I see the merit of why their job works because yes. it's working in volumes of scale. But I don't want to being that guy. That's like the biggest bummer in the room right there. Sorry, can't upgrade that part because it's going to cost. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> we can't make it out of magnesium. We have to make it out of aluminum, which means it's going to fail sooner. Which yeah. means okay, shelf life. But we save money, man. Boy, did we save money. Best initial quality says JD Power. <laughs> well, all cars are good. They have they're new. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right. What is your automotive pet peeve? <laughs> That's been the last 90 minutes. I can you listen at all. We've covered that from all kinds of directions. Uh, Clearly, it's it's uh, rear-engine cars that can be mistaken for Porsches. That I'm going to speak for Paul. That's, there, that's, that's one that's, of them. That's yeah. a big one. I'll add another, and that is on-ramps. Everyone, by the time you get to the end of the on-ramp, you should be able to merge into the flow of traffic. If this is not you, the pedal on the right is the one you're looking for. <laughs> that is that is a very good one because that is a habitual problem out here on the East Coast of like, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to accelerate once I get on the freeway. That's how that's supposed to work. Um, yes. Where did that come from? Yeah, I don't get where that came from. Anyway, yeah. Bad driver's ed, like everything else. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, this is... Final question for the evening. Um, I'm hoping you thought a lot and hard about this. This is, I think, the most important question that's ever been asked on any automotive outlet. And I ask wow. it every I, – I, this is how, you know, uh, 
crucial. Like, like, yeah, this yeah. is this is I think the you know ultimate question on an automotive podcast. Um, you know, maybe the most important automotive question ever asked of anyone. But uh, what is the hardest wow. food to eat while you're driving? Why are you eating while you're driving? What? Why are we eating <laughs> while you're driving? Uh, eating and driving. How, why? What, uh, what's the thinking here? What's the thinking behind this task here? Yeah, you, you're, you're never gonna. You lost me. I, uh, I know you. You're never gonna. You're never gonna uh, surmount that. You're gonna just hurt your brain doing it. I will try to answer this. I, I actually, and I will say this. First off, look, you could go into crazy foods that you would never attempt to eat while driving. So I'm gonna take those off the table. Okay, car food, food spaghetti. Well, okay, but anything you would eat Things with your like hands, like people that eat chicken wings with, with one in each hand and they're covered in goo, and you wouldn't even, you would never attempt to chicken do wing that. Goo. You would never attempt to do that. There, there, there's a t-shirt. You would never attempt to do that while driving. You're not going to try to eat ribs while driving. I mean, these would be terrible, but you're also not going to attempt it. But car, the things you actually eat while driving that are the worst, I'll give you two. One is Cheetos, because the minute you yeah. have a Cheeto, now what do you do with that hand? You can't really ever really get the Cheeto dust off, and you will be touching a surface of the car, mm. and that it's just it's a downward spiral. So there's that one. And then I recently encountered this with my son, Kit Kats. You break a Kit Kat apart, and there's these little microscopic slivers of, of chocolate that land everywhere. You can never get them out, and they grind into the surfaces. You, you'll never you'll never get that out of there. That's just gone forever. And these are two things that will get eaten in a car and are all bad. Mm -hmm. Ike, you've created the next best TV show, the next reality show increasingly difficult foods to eat in a car while driving. Mm -hmm. Let's ramp it up. Hey, we're going to add smoking this episode. We're going to add lipstick in next week. And coming soon is texting while you're eating a burrito. But this, but that's just Los Angeles traffic now. Now we right. just, that's not even a reality We've just show. described every city on the planet already. Yeah. My, my, you laugh. My dream is, since I've started this podcast, because I've asked most guests that question, um, is to set up an autocross course with, like, a professional chef with all sorts of weird, stupid foods to eat while driving, a tarp in the car, and weigh the tarp every time you get out of the vehicle. Um, the Kit Kats, awesome. the Kit Kat is a good one um, because one of the leaders in the clubhouse for a while was uh, ice cream because it just makes a mess no matter what you try to do. And the Kit Kat secret mess is, like, the worst thing. Like, you find it underneath, Great. like, oh, that is just, yeah, that is bad. Um, Ice cream's easy. You can end up letting it melt and just drink it out of the cup. That's easy. Yeah, it's easy. But then on the flip side of that, the cleanup that's involved with that is like surprisingly difficult. Like, right. a, like yes. a taco in there is like taco hard to eat, kind of messy. You know, you got that like thing going back and forth, especially like a Taco Bell taco. Um, <laughs> another good one was matzo ball soup was another good one. Although oh, soup no. is kind of <laughs> easy to eat, you know, while driving. But the matzo ball throws that extra like, you know twist into it um i need to get like a dry erase board with all my leaderboards on it because i keep forgetting episode by episode what what it is but the Kit Kat is up there with the like secret like mess you bit don't of it. you don't you don't realize how messy that the deadly is. shards my my son got in the car he's like he had a Kit Kat. he's like yeah i can open this and i said no and, and i'm the guy look i've got a seven-year-old and a dog make the car messy whatever but something about the Kit Kat, i just i sensed it i sensed it subconsciously <laughs> do not open that in this car mm -hmm. that will, we will never get that time back scattered whatever happened mm -hmm. <laughs> well I, i'm glad because we answered another fan question by that which was uh, el yuli wanted to know if either of you eat while driving and i'm guessing the one more so than the other so yes. uh, negative ghost rider yeah you yeah that's not happening with paul but i'm just i mean life just happens that just happens yeah 
I mean, it's not, we're not German. We're not in the Autobahn. We don't need to be paying 110% while we're driving. Eating in the car is just, there's a lot of, especially in Utah, I'm surprised. There's a lot of space between where you go and where you, you know, are going to. So, like, you got to, like, eat sometimes. Like, you can't just subsist on, or is it, are you a protein shake in the car kind of guy? Is that what's, what water. I mean? Just water. water. <laughs> sometimes coffee, if you're lucky. But water. <laughs> We have restaurants where you sit down and enjoy a meal. Mm-hmm. Food does not have to be so joyless <laughs> as to eat it in a car. <laughs> I like cuisine. Let's enjoy it. Let's go to the place where we enjoy it and then continue driving. Like that handle next to you is the eject handle, and I recommend <laughs> we're like we're extra fifty percent of podcasts just because you had us on. Let food let's is reach not for the food. handle. Tell- food is not just fuel. Food is to be enjoyed and savored and meals <laughs> and. We have furniture. Back to furniture where we can sit down. Check, and please. <laughs> Check, please. I really would like to leave the restaurant now. <laughs> well, gentlemen, uh, I will call it there because I, I just looked at it at the time, and you're right. We're getting more than halfway over our time allotment here. So I want to thank you, first of all, for spending so much time, you know, over the time allotted with me this evening. Um, for the people who are listening who go, like, I need to hear more of these guys. I need to watch the videos. Uh, where I'm sorry. Did... Oh, no, that's not what you're asking. <laughs> where can they go to find you and, like, plug all the stuff, basically, is what I'm saying right now. Wherever you're headed, it is Everyday Driver. If you want to go to any of the social media networks, it's just slash Everyday Driver. It's also on YouTube, Everyday Driver. Uh, of course, you can just Google us. Go to everydaydriver.com, and that will get you to any of the places, the social media areas, the podcast, the feature films, information for how to find us on Velocity, and, of course, YouTube. That is definitely the hub to get you everywhere. But if you're on a social media or YouTube or whatever, Everyday Driver, go find us. Agreed. And don't forget the films that we've talked about. Those are available on Vimeo as a download and a rental and also Amazon as a Blu-ray. Again, Everyday Driver, just search for the films and you'll find them there. And we've got a lot of stuff, uh, T-shirts and all kinds of stuff on the store on EverydayDriver.com. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. And Ike. Thank you so much for having us on. We really, yeah. really appreciate it. Really cool. Thank you, sir. Oh, no problem. Uh, just hold on one second. I'll say goodbye to you, gentlemen, off air. And don't forget, there's a Patreon, too, isn't there? There is. There, there is. is. I mean, there is a segment of our audience that really likes to be involved that extra bit. We have hangouts and other things that we offer those folks. We don't plug that a lot, but it is there as well. And uh, those, a lot of those patrons have become genuine friends. It's very cool. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right, well, gentlemen, I'm going to say goodbye to you off air. Everyone listening, I'll be right back. And I'm bumping the machine for no good reason. All right. All right, that was Everyday Driver. Those guys are really cool. Um, Make sure you go check out their work if you haven't already. Um, If you like what you heard today, please tell a friend. Tell someone you think might be interested in this. This is how we grow. It's always great to see those numbers continuing to click upwards. So I want to thank everyone who's already told a friend. Um, if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, that helps out a lot, too, on that platform. Uh, you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and in the browser via Podomatic. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at, at Untitled Car Show. You can visit the website, theuntitledcarshow.com. And you can follow our West Coast correspondent, Ryan West, at ryanator122. Uh, the Instagram is at Untitled Car Show. And we have a Facebook you can go visit, too. Um, I think that's it for plugs for the evening. So thanks, everyone, so much for listening once again. Um, Have a good night. Have a good evening. Wherever you are, whatever time it is there, thank you so much for listening. Please be safe out there.